If you joined us for last week's show with Todd Sears, you heard us talk about the concept of return on equality. So prove it, you said. Show us that companies actually perform better financially and their stock price improves when they treat all employees with dignity and respect and do not discriminate based on gender identity and sexual orientation. Well, this week we've got the man behind the proof. John Roberts was the driving force behind the Workplace Equality Index, an index that looked at companies even before HRC's Corporate Equality Index. He's got the data. Let's hear the facts. Before we jump into the show, take a few seconds to click those three little dots on your podcast player and share this episode on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and spread the word of a financially strong queer community. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome, John Roberts of the Workplace Equality Index. We're excited to have you today. Oh, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what your background is, please? Well, let's start with my age because that frames a lot of things. I'm 52 (laughs) years old. I was born in a small village in Japan back in the 1960s. I was raised all over Far East Asia as a military brat, so the wonderful melting pot of the world living on military bases, (laughs) Um, and ended up settling in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area for middle school, high school. Went to college, got a finance degree, and started working uh, for a Wall Street firm in San Francisco in the late 80s, which was certainly a, a, an interesting time to be there in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. It was ground zero, really. Having done a lot of musical theater in high school and been involved in the arts, I had a lot of friends that lived there and kind of watching what was happening. It definitely shaped my view on equality, shaped my view on the LGBT community. You know, for those that don't know history, we're doomed to repeat it, but it was definitely a defining moment for me. Exactly. And we have you on the show today because you are the creator of the Workplace Equality Index, which I think is, a, based on what you just described to us, is pretty interesting that you were able to sort of merge your experience with the LGBT community and your role in financial services. Well, you know, it, it's fascinating because you know, my job for the last 22 years here at my firm, uh, Siegel, Bright & Hamill, is a portfolio manager. I manage money for individuals and foundations. Back in the late 90s, I was approached by the Kevin Mosier Foundation. If you don't know Kevin, he kind of single-handedly invented the gay cruise industry. Like so many others, passed away far too young. When they sold the company, all the money went into a private foundation. Back in the late 90s, the trustees hired us to manage that. And they said, by the way, we only want you to invest in companies that treat their LGBT employees equally. You think about the late 90s, we're still using Netscape Navigator to browse the web, right? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing on the web, no information. I had long conversations about well, what does that mean? You know, collaborating with our clients, what are the metrics around that? What does that mean for a company to have LGBT inclusive workplace policies? And, and so we kind of started looking at, well, all right, an EEO policy has to prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. And back then, they have to provide domestic partner benefits, civil union benefits. They have to support their LGBT uh, pride groups. You know, we combed all the public stocks out there and and saying, well, how do you find this information? And it turned out you had to call the companies. There (laughs) there were no data sets out there. And and being an investment management firm and having 
research analysts that call companies. We just started picking up the phone and calling companies. That first year, we could find 26 companies in the entire S&P 500 that offered domestic partner benefits. Uh, wow. So the pickings were a little slim. So it sounds like, first of all, history-wise, sounds like you were charged with this task long before there was an HRC corporate equality index. So you were a pioneer doing this kind of research. But secondly, I don't know specifically how much money you were being handed by this foundation, but you know, even if it was millions or tens of millions of dollars, why would a company like yours or why would you as an individual take on this kind of challenge when, especially in the mid-90s, it was a lightning rod issue? We were still dealing with the political fallout of the AIDS crisis and the backlash of the religious right towards the LGBT community. Why would you do this? And what kind of buy-in did you get from your leaders? One of the nice things about being in this industry in Denver is that you kind of are away from the Wall Street group think. And our firm has always been a client-focused firm. We put the clients first. And so when the clients say, we want you to do the social screening for us, we're kind of agnostic as the clients. And we say, sure, how can we create the portfolio that aligns with the client's values? And this was you know, an opportunity. And it was tens of millions that we were, were looking at. And so, you know, like any good capitalist, we said, all right, we've got a job to do. We make money doing this. And as we started looking around, we didn't really think of it as we're the only ones doing this. We just said, all right, how do we come up with this group of companies that meet our clients' requirements? It took us a, a while to start to kind of formulate, all right, what exactly are we looking for? What's the data set? What's the universe that we're looking at? And we you know, had some bumps along the way and we realized that the companies actually had to do business in the U.S. so we could, you know, kind of compare EEO statements. You know, we wanted to be able to at least to talk to employees to make sure the companies were walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And so being that we don't uh, speak a lot of foreign languages, it kind of, we said, let's focus on companies that do business here in the U.S. makes our jobs a little easier. It was really about just kind of coming up with at first, scrambling to find companies that met the requirements because our mandate was manage the portfolio of stocks for a foundation and foundations have legal requirements around diversification and, and so they have to meet certain requirements and so we wanted a broadly diversified index of stocks that could give them you know, broad market exposure without investing in companies that didn't support the LGBT community. Yeah. First of all, again, I have to say thank you. Secondly, I'm just going to say as you're listening to this, many times we think that we are somewhat powerless unless we're out there on the streets being activists. But what John's story is really kind of sharing with us here is that even as investors, we have the ability to be activists. When we are sitting down with a financial advisor or we're working with a brokerage firm, we have the opportunity to say, this is the kind of investments that we want. Whether you have $5,000 or $500 million to invest, remember that it's important for you to think about where your money is going. So that's part of the reason why we have John on here. And John, I love this idea that you pay attention to the needs of your clients, because I think in the space that we are in today, there are a lot of people whether they're LGBT or not, a lot of people think that there are these 
ivory castles in New York where all the shareholders and the Wall Street bigwigs just do whatever they please. And it sounds like there's plenty of opportunity for people to actually get what they want and the service that they need for themselves specifically. There are thousands of public companies out there. We had an opportunity that was presented to us of an organization, a client of ours that wanted to invest with its values. And there are a lot of companies that support equality today, but there are also a lot of companies that don't support equality. And so part of our job was to kind of sift through all the data and kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, as it may be. And so the process that we came up with, with our clients, again, 20 years ago now, was really about how do we identify companies that support workplace equality for their LGBT employees. And it still is not an easy task because this is not data that I can just, you know, punch in a screen on my Bloomberg or using uh, any of the financial tools we have out there, facts that are cap IQ. It's really about gathering data from employees, from chief diversity officers, from HR officers about their policies. Oftentimes it's not public information, but you have to dig. And so, you know, for us, it was the opportunity was there and we took advantage of that opportunity. What really kind of solidified for us the theme of, hey, workplace equality is something that we want to keep focusing on is, you know, our company is a melting pot of people. And so our company values were aligned with our clients' values that workplace equality is important. It's something that is easy to look around the firm and say, well, we're a broad diverse group of people, straight, gay, bi, trans, and yes, of course, it's important that we have a diverse workforce. More importantly, as we started managing portfolio screen for workplace equality, we started seeing a theme. That theme was that the companies that treat all their employees better have better shareholder returns than their less enlightened peers. I love me, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let me just say that again, because this is my good friend and one of our advisory board member, uh, Todd Sears, his term is return on equality. And we just call it return on equality, the real ROE, using a kind of a spin on a financial term. And that is that companies that treat their LGBT employees with dignity, respect, and equality tend to outperform their less enlightened peers. And fast forward 20 years later, what we find out is we've actually come up with a marker for companies that treat all their employees better. Like I said, I love that not only is there a social impact happening here, we're seeing that more individuals are actually feeling comfortable living their best selves and authentic selves at work, but those companies that are doing this are reaping the rewards of having a workforce of employees that actually love to work at those companies because they don't have to hide anything about themselves. And what I love that you hit on is it's they treat all of their employees in this manner. It's not just that we have a women's group or an African-American group or a veterans group. It's all of the employees feel like they are included in this, for lack of a better term, kind of a family business because everyone's doing the best thing that they can do to make the business thrive. And they then themselves benefit because of it. I was speaking a few years ago at an out on the street conference and in New York, and I forgot who the CEO was, 
CEO of a major Wall Street bank, said, there's a war for talent out there. And if we don't open our doors to everybody, we're going to lose that war for talent and our competitors will win. I thought that was a very, very interesting comment coming from a cutthroat pay-for-performance industry that, look, we don't care who you love, what religion you are, you know, how you dress, what color your skin is, what language you... We want the best employees. And if that means we have to be an open door, open arm, welcoming place, we're going to get better employees and we're going to win the war for talent. It's a cutthroat way of looking at it, but it's the right way to look at it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what companies should be focused on. So I, I have to ask you, since as someone who's been studying this as workplace equality at such a granular level for the last 20 some years, what is your take on the progress we've made over the last several years? Well, considering the fact that the first year we started screening for LGBT workplace equality, I could find, like I say, a couple of dozen companies that even had domestic partner benefits and EEO statements that prohibited both discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Today, we've got over 240 companies in the index and our advisory board, which is the Stock Selection Committee, we just met last week. Great group of people, like I said, Todd Sears, Megan Stabler, Deb Neiman, a financial planner who founded Pride Planners, a number of other people that help us select stocks. We we're going to add more. The number of companies that qualify for the index in terms of their LGBT workplace equality policies has increased tenfold. So I think to answer the question, progress has been phenomenal. But remember, progress is never linear. And so we think that we've got the Windsor case and repeal of DOMA that, wow, everything's great. And then we have this last election. You kind of say, uh oh, progress is never linear. It's just like stock returns. And you know, everyone looks at charts and saying, I want to see that going up and to the right. But it's never linear. If you get corrections and progress is never in a straight line. So I think we have to keep pressing on. And I think you know, one of the nice things is the millennial generation certainly embraces workplace equality. They weren't around for anything but that. So as more and more millennials enter the workforce, and by the way, that kind of baby boomers, kids, the echo boom, the millennial generation, however you want to term them, they're now the largest part of the U.S. workforce. And so demographically speaking, I think workplace equality has a great tailwind. To that point, the work that you're doing and the work that Todd Sears is doing at Out Leadership sort of reinforces Richard Florida's work that diversity sort of leads to prosperity. It feeds the bottom line. With what you just said in mind, why do you think some companies are still hesitant to provide workplace equality, or if they have workplace equality, to actually apply that to all aspects of their business all across the country? I think part of it is just ignorance, right? The fact that we're out there, and until we actually started managing real money, screened for LGBT inclusive workplace policies, we didn't really have a lot of data. I was speaking at Out and Equal uh, Workplace Advocates, a great conference, a lot of chief diversity officers, human resource officers there. And it was actually in San Francisco, which I love going back home to San Francisco. And I was speaking after Billie Jean King which is a daunting task. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> and I was reminded when she said, we don't have data, we don't have anything. And it really kind of led us to do some more research and, and write a white paper on this whole concept of the return on equality. And so there's lots of great work has been done by the Williams Institute and Bob Wittick and Harris Interactive about the 
qualitative aspects of workplace policy. And it feels better to be more inclusive. But until we launched this white paper and did this research on, on actual real dollars, no one had really looked at what is the quantitative impact of investing in companies that treat everyone with dignity, respect, and equality. And it turns out that there's an actual shareholder case for LGBT workplace equality in terms of just plain dollars and cents. When I heard Billie Jean King say, you know, unless we have good hard data, how do you convince somebody that this is the right thing to do? And that was really kind of one of the aha moments in this 20-year career of screening for LGBT workplace equality and investing in companies that support the community that said, ah, okay, we need to have data. Let's look at what it is that makes these companies good investments. We were having a conversation with Todd Sears earlier today, and we were talking a little bit about this data. And you're creating this index and you're measuring these companies. And one of the things that John and I have always been curious about is that there are some companies that appear to be doing what's right for our community. And then there are those companies that it's absolutely apparent that they are. On the other end of the spectrum, we know that there are those companies that don't have these workplace protections. How do you kind of decipher that gray area of these companies that are getting accolades, but at the same time, they're not necessarily doing what really is right for our community? Talk to employees. It's that simple. We spend a lot of our time going to conferences, getting names. We've accumulated over the last couple of decades contacts of thousands of employees at companies that we're trying to screen. And so the best way to figure out if a company walks the walk is to talk to the employees because eventually they'll tell you. They'll tell you if things are good, if things are bad. A company that says they're doing all these great things and getting all these accolades, as you say, you start talking to employees and, and you get a very, very different picture. You can also use it to figure out, okay, what companies are doing things well? And it's not always the companies that you would think. You know, if you talk to a, uh, an employee in a chemical manufacturing plant in Louisiana for a big uh, industrial commodity producer, you know, this is a place where everyone drives Ford F-150 pickups and wears hard hats. And these are good old boys. And when the CEO calls an all-personnel across-the-globe meeting of their company and says, we will tolerate no discrimination, no harassment based on sexual orientation and gender identity, period, end of report, that is a powerful message. One of the things that we like to see is companies where the CEO takes a stand. It's right. not just the human resources officer, but it's the CEO taking a stand. Those are powerful messages to send. You want to know who's doing the right thing? Look at what the CEO is doing. That's one thing that, that you see in the financial service industry. You know, CEOs have generally been on board understanding that, hey, guess what? We want to bank the LGBT community. They're good clients. And you've seen that in the consumer companies as well. So companies that are trying to sell a product to consumers typically were some of the first that started understanding that they couldn't just advertise in the LGBT periodicals and magazines, they needed to actually have these policies in place because it's pretty easy to see through some of that. When we look at kind of what companies qualify for the index and what don't, we do see very much an old economy, new economy, dichotomy. The aforementioned worker at a chemical company notwithstanding, you see a lot of consumer companies and finance companies and technology companies have been at the forefront. 
you see a lot of kind of manufacturing and industrial and mining companies, not so much. Well-established, probably, I don't want to necessarily geographically limit them, but oftentimes in areas of the country where equality and diversity are not key attributes of the makeup of the people living in those areas, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what I think is exciting is you're creating data to give to a leader of any organization, CEO or private company, whatever, that shows that that equality improves the bottom line. So at some point, it seems to me, based on what we're acquiring over the last couple of years, that there will be so much information that if a CEO or a leader of a company says, we don't care, they're pretty much saying, we're willing to lose business opportunity, lose growth, because we don't want to provide workplace protections and equality. Right. And we're getting the proof that they're actually not losing the growth. I also have to think about the father or mother who may be working for that large industrial company in the middle of the country, and they are raising a child that is LGBT. They themselves may not be, but they're raising a child and they see that coming out in their child and they fear for their child. But then they hear the leader of their company saying, we will tolerate no discrimination. That just gives them reason to think to themselves, the world is going to be a better place for my children. Absolutely. And again, you know, we really like to focus on what are the CEOs doing? Are they taking a stand? You know, we saw a great example of one of the companies in the portfolio, Salesforce. Their CEO, Mark Benioff, has been one to be vocal about social causes. But Indiana, under Governor Mike Pence, you know, passed a Religious Freedom Act. And Salesforce had just acquired a uh, company that was based in Indiana with 2,000 employees. And Benioff went straight to the Pence and said, hey, if you don't veto this bill, we're going to pull jobs out of your state. Your state's going to lose money. And, I mean, he flat out threatened them. He said, you know, we're going to reduce our investment in Indiana and we'll pay for people to relocate to a state that's more friendly. You talk about the bully pulpit, that's powerful. And so, you know, I've always liked to say that social change comes from business, not from the government. And I think that that's true with all social change, with, you know, civil rights, with LGBT workplace equality, that business leads the charge. It is what we do every day, right? We're consumers, we're workers, we are entrepreneurs. We're engaged in this every single day. We're maybe not engaged in politics every single day, unless maybe that is the field in which we work. So it makes sense that that's the area where most of us would have the ability to have the most opportunity to affect the most change. I also have to think one of the things that you were just talking about Todd Sears also mentioned this idea that business is making this change. We haven't had the opportunity to look at this, but evidently there was a recent discussion happening at the SEC level saying that activist investors shouldn't be pushing for LGBT rights. What would your thought process be on an organization that big that is kind of basically funded by the taxpayers' dollars, <laughs> what would your thoughts be on that kind of message that we shouldn't be pushing for LGBT rights through activist investing? My thoughts around this one are what I just said earlier, is that business, not government, leads social change. And you know, the SEC can you know, make these proclamations, understanding that they'll have a new chairman with the next election, with the next administration. Social change is not in a straight line. Progress does not always go 
one step forward, one step forward, one step forward. You can, you know, there's a step back here or there. Right. And you know, any one of the administrative agencies uh, that's led by a presidential appointee will follow the lead of the administration that uh, appointed them. I would say that, you know, in the end, play the long game. I think companies understand that social change is not a administration to administration measurement. It's a generation by generation measurement. And so I think companies can probably look through that and, you know, activist investors can really do whatever they want in terms of, you know, when you own the company, when you own enough shares, you can create change at the board level. And in terms of, you know, you think about go back to the 80s. When I was in college, we were all protesting against apartheid, right? Free Nelson Mandela. We were getting tear gas, getting water cannon for holding protests on college campuses because we thought apartheid was wrong. And it wasn't until you started seeing organizations say, hold on, we need to divest our investments in South Africa because that government's policies are wrong. That was very, very controversial at the time. And I'd have to go back and do some research and take a stand on what the uh, SEC's initial uh, uh, comments (laughs) about divestment were in the divestiture uh, movement. But I don't think they were probably very positive and certainly not supportive. You know, the administrations were not supportive of that. But let's face it, money walks. And it wasn't until, you know, you started having organizations like CalPERS and CalSTRS say, hey, we're going to pull our money out of these companies. And then it's just that first actor has to act. And you're seeing it now with banks and firearms, you know, very controversial. And the SEC is starting to weigh in on this. And I think social change happens at the company level. And it's not always popular with whatever the incumbent regime is or with the people who take a different stand. But in the end, the business of our society is just that. It's business, right? right? Business leads change. It's not government leading change. Government reacts. Businesses lead the change. Right. So now it's time for the rubber to hit the road. <laughs> so as a community, when we see organizations like you doing this, or we see businesses that you are finding in the index, how do we do a better job at supporting not only you, but also these businesses? What should we be doing? I think just asking the questions. If you have a financial advisor and and they're investing your money, ask them, what are you investing in? Am I buying shares of companies that advocate for positions that are against my value set? I mean, you look at a company like ExxonMobil, right? You know, they've acquired companies that had domestic partner benefits. They've canceled those domestic partner benefits. But they're also one of the largest public companies in the world. So if you go out and buy a mutual fund or an S&P 500 index fund, you own a bunch of companies that don't support you. Why do you want to do that? There are other options out there. And that's how we came to doing the LGBT workplace equality screening in the first place. We had a client, the Moser Foundation, that said, you know, we've looked at some of these SRI funds, we've looked at our investment options, and they don't reflect our values. Can you customize a portfolio for us that reflects our values and our values are LGBT workplace equality? Right. We said, sure. So we have the ELQT ETF. So this is an investment vehicle that we can use. We can go speak to our financial advisors. What would you suggest our listeners do to be able to invest in this EQLT? There are a lot of ways you can invest for social good. And I think you know, today we look at our index and the uh, investment products 
that have licensed it, like the Workplace Equality Portfolio or EQLT, as ways to express your value set. There are lots of values that you can express. Ours is a laser-like focused one on LGBT workplace equality. You can express your values of green energy or a carbon-free world or you name it, no nukes. But ours is one way to express those values and invest in companies that support workplace equality. It's important to have those conversations with your financial advisor, to know what you're investing in, to not support companies whose workplace policies don't align with your values. Absolutely. I will just tell you as listeners, John and I just had this conversation with our financial advisor that we need to be much more proactive about the companies that we are investing in because I don't want to support a company out there that wants to take money from me or us as a community, as consumers, but also doesn't want to support our rights to be our authentic selves. So, John, if someone wants to find out more about the Workplace Equality Index or EQLT, where can we find that kind of information? If you want to find information about the Exchange Traded Fund, you can go to the website eqltfund.com. That's probably the easiest way. You can talk to your financial advisor about how to invest for workplace equality. But the first place to go, I'd say, uh, if you want to look at what stocks are in the portfolio, find out all the things that an investor needs to know about an investment, go to eqlpfund.com. And if I'm an LGBT individual and I work for a company that is maybe on the gray area or even further to the right, that they're not as progressive, what tools or is there any information that you have that you've created that individuals can use to maybe give to their companies? We did a white paper called Return on Equality, the real ROE, the shareholder uh, case for workplace equality. And quite honestly, a lot of employee resource groups have used that to get funding, to show management that, hey, look, there's an actual dollars and cents reason why you should adopt some of these policies that promote workplace equality and why you should support workplace equality. Quite honestly, I've had lots of great feedback of people saying, hey, we sent that white paper that shows, you know, the dollars and cents return on equality up to our management and we got more funding this year or policies have changed. We've had companies now coming to us saying, what do we need to do to get in your index? Because we want to be part of this group of companies that supports equality. I think that's great. Definitely. Awesome. So John, we really appreciate the work that you have done and spearheaded in digging a little bit deeper when it comes to finding companies that are doing what's right for our community. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on Queer Money. Hey, thank you guys. Thanks again, John, for joining us. As we mentioned, John is here in Denver, and we had the opportunity to sit down with him in person before the podcast. John is a prime example of how, as investors and consumers, we can be advocates for our community just as much as those rallying in the streets and posting memes on social media. Thank you for being such a huge ally to our community, John. If you love this show, share it with someone you know. If you do it on social media, tag the Debt Free Guys, and we'll give you a shout out in one of our future episodes. Thanks again, and have a great week. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) 
would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh,